are listening to The Addiction Files, where we discuss evidence-based treatment, clinical pearls and resources, while striving to destigmatize the treatment of addiction in our medical culture and save lives. We are the addiction doctors, Dr. Darlene Peterson and Paula Cook. Welcome to this episode of The Addiction Files. We are thrilled tonight. I have Dr. Laura Petracek joining me from sunny California. So we are just thrilled. We are going to be talking about DBT for alcohol and substance use disorders. And it is our pleasure. I am flying solo tonight. Paula is away for the evening, but we are in good hands. So Dr. Petracek is a certified DBT therapist who uses her her own experiences with recovery and treatment to help others. Dr. Petracek received her Master of Social Work from Wurzweitzler School of Social Work and PhD in Clinical Psychology from the California Institute of Integral Studies. And she's worked in the field of psychology for more than 30 years. She is also the author of the DBT workbook for alcohol and drug addiction and the anger workbook for women. Just, just start with, tell us the difference, like what is DBT and how is that different from other forms of therapy and who benefits from this? What type of patient should we be referring for this type of therapy and why why is this good for our patients with alcohol and substance use disorders? Thank you, Darlene. Yes, um, so DBT stands for Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. And basically DBT is has three prongs to it. Uh, the first one is cognitive behavioral therapy, looking at a patient's negative thinking, negative thinking patterns, and keeping a thought record, gaining awareness and how to change and intervene with those thought patterns. The second part is mindfulness or um, meditation. And that's teaching a patient different meditative techniques and also learning to be mindful and everyday activities. And the third piece, which makes this therapy different is dialectic. And dialectic means both and. So in a lot of uh, times our patients think in either or, especially alcoholics and addict, either I'm really great or I'm a piece of you know what, or I think this person is wonderful or I think they're horrible. Um, but we have a lot of black and white people in recovery or who are in addiction, black and white thinking. So the both and is looking how to hold both. So meaning, like I give an example in my workbook, the, I wrote it during the pandemic. So, you know, I'm in lockdown. This is really, I'm really struggling and I know I'm going to get through it. You know, so that holds both truths as true. Um, and DBT is what they call an evidence-based therapy, meaning Dr. Linehan, who is the inventor of DBT, uh, her and her colleagues at the University of Washington, 
have done numerous studies on how DBT is effective, uh, initially with women who were, and a few men diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, but then they broadened their research and found uh, that DBT is helpful with a lot of different populations, patient populations, who suffer from emotional dysregulation. That is really helpful. So we typically, so you're saying borderline personality, really beneficial, which we frequently encounter with substance use disorders. And then in general, just this emotional dysregulation. Is there right. any is there any patient populations that you wouldn't see benefit from DBT? I think the more severe Diagnoses like schizophrenia or a psychotic disorder. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure they could, but I don't, you know, their awareness is is uh, crucial. So uh, not really having that self-observation, I think, would be very limiting. And going back to different patient populations, like people with emotional or eating disorders or um, food disorder or... Um, God, just like anyone you could think of, gambling disorder. I mean, there's so many disorder, depression, major depression. Uh, for me, I went myself personally for because I was really struggling at the time with my bipolar disorder. So, and that's what you know really uh, spearheaded me to write this book. Was here I've been trained as a DBT therapist. I'm a professional psychologist. Um, I'm in recovery myself for many years, but uh, when my daughter went off to college, it really set me into a spiral. She's my only child and, you know, we're very close. And um, they had tried this uh, new kind of fangled therapy and for depression. It did not work well. And it and unfortunately spearheaded or, or triggered a manic attack. And even though, yes, they increased the lithium and different, you know, psychotropic medication, the DBT really helped. I learned so many tools on a personal level how to deal with emotional dysregulation. Um, and that, you know, I, in one of the groups, the therapist said, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. And uh, the suffering is optional always kind of eluded uh, me, like, how, how do you not suffer if I'm going through this emotional pain? And DBT teaches, they have like over 200 tools in four different modules, how to not suffer or suffer less. And that's when I thought, I I've got to write a book about this because there's so many people in recovery. Yes, AA offers, you know, 20 to 30 tools, but here's 200 more. And I would say at least 80 to 90% of people in recovery also have a co-occurring disorder or mental illness. So they definitely could benefit from DBT. That's where DBT personally helped me. Um, and, and so much so that was where the uh, impetus to write the book came from. I really appreciate that. And I love that the pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. And I we encounter that every day with our patients, don't we? Right. Yeah. And it is so hard sometimes, especially when you encounter patients early in recovery, levels of just distress and dysregulation and that 
especially mm-hmm. in that early period. Right. Early recovery yeah. is extremely challenging. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of the make it or break period. I mean, I think if people don't learn enough skills, um, you know, this they'll just decide, hey, this suffering is not worth it. I'm I'm going back. Yeah. And just for our students, can you just explain a little bit the CBT, what that is, and then some of the other therapies? Cognitive behavioral therapy is very helpful because a lot of times in early recovery or in recovery itself, we have what's called cognitive distortions. We get just a piece of information about a person or a situation, and then we make up the rest of the story. And we unfortunately usually default to the negative. So, for example, you see someone at a meeting talking to someone else, your mind reading, which is one of the cognitive distortions. Oh, they must be talking about me. And then we react as if that's true. And it's usually down. It's usually a negative. Um, so to look at the cognitive story distortions, which I talk about in my book, which is uh, some examples are all or nothing thinking, um, mind reading, assumptions, future tripping. Uh, these are all ways that we're not in the here and now. And we're also, you know, guessing about what someone else is thinking about or even what we imagine we're going to encounter. Um, like, let's say there's a tough situation at work. Like a lot of times when I work with patients and they have issues at work, they're like, oh, I'm going to get fired. But do you really know that? I mean, let's look at it. Or my boss hates me. Well, That's so let's, true. let's take this apart too. And it really helps clients when you break it down You know, it's like breaking down a chain of chemicals or something like, oh, that doesn't fit. No, your distortion does not really fit reality. And the thing is, it doesn't serve you. A lot of times people don't realize how it adds to suffering because they just think, oh, my boss hates me. It's true. And that's why I feel bad. But no, you're missing a piece here. You think your boss hates you, but there's no evidence to really support that usually. Um, and then you feel bad needlessly. That is such a good analogy. And being able to just help them shift that view just a little bit, Mm -hmm. like you said, just uh, is so freeing. And, And so that's what you talk about a little bit, even in your workbook is just starting that mind shift that's triggered with DBT. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, how do, how do you start that process? Well, in addition to learning or hearing different feedback from your therapist or psychiatrist, um, or maybe a, a counselor, you know, them give you feedback and observation by doing meditation and being mindful, like right now I'm talking with you or right now I'm cooking dinner. Because a lot of times, 90% of the time we are not where our feet are. You know, we're in the past, usually regretting what happened or feeling anxious about the future. That's not even come yet. And we're rarely in today um, and rarely in right here, right now. 
So through meditation, and that's basically, uh, you know, for some people, it's just as simple as following your breath. And then there's many different meditations. I talk about a few in the book. There's the Calm app. There's um, numerous apps out there to learn meditation or to, to learn how to follow your breath. Um, and it only has to be like five or 10 minutes a day. The more important thing is to be consistent. Like I used to do a half hour one day and then nothing the next five and then do like a marathon meditation on the weekend. And my therapist is like, well, you know, it actually works better or you'll, it'll have more effect, positive effect if you meditate every day, even if it's only five minutes, if you're more consistent. So I was like, all right, I could do five minutes. So that's what I did. And I did see little, little changes, more so than if I did the grand gestures on the weekend and then nothing during the week. Um, so it's more, the key is consistency, even if it's only small periods of time. But mindfulness also really slows you down. I mean, being, you know, having bipolar disorder, you know, when I'm not in a phase of um, being stable, I could be going 90 miles an hour with everything I'm doing, even driving, which is so not safe. So being mindful is, is really, really honing in on right now. Okay, right now I'm talking with Darlene. Okay, right now I'm going to write a note. Um, so it's that focusing, because I was just all over the place, and a lot of people in early recovery are all over the place. And that adds to suffering. And I didn't really realize that. I thought being multitasker was like so cool and like a feather in my cap when actually it it just added more stress needlessly. That is so true. I, I can't tell you how many times I see that with patients. And th the first thing we want to do is just try to teach them that skill of just being able to stop the numbing behavior that they've been doing with alcohol and substances and be able to just feel emotions. And that's what you're kind of talking about with just being able to be present. Mm -hmm. and, and it's, we really live in just such a frantic society. It is something that I think is just lost. And, and it is, it's just that meditation and being able to just stop. I, I've even... I've even practiced sometimes what we call moving meditations. It's just mm. going and taking a walk mm. out in nature. Yes. Some people are sometimes yeah. so anxious and yeah. so revved up that they, they just look at me like there's absolutely no way that I could even just sit for one minute in their yeah. head. They just couldn't do that. And I said, then don't just go, you know, put no, on, that, put on your is, app, you know. And, yeah, and there's a lot walk. of meditations about walking. Yes. Um, and, and actually there's some about, uh, walking and then doing counting at the same time. And that really helps you focus. I remember this one retreat I went on. So you have to do one, one, two, one, two, three. And then if you found you lost it, you got to start over again and then you count back down. But when you well, lost your count, you weren't focusing. You weren't being mindful of that moment. And so I liked I like the counting and walking at the same time because my head is just, you know, so busy working overtime. It really does help. I could understand. Yeah, I couldn't sit either in the beginning. It's just even now, 
Like my family's like, mom, you're going to sit through this movie. And I probably make it halfway through. <laughs> I got to do something. Else. <laughs> I mean, I'll circle back, <laughs> but it is really a challenge. Uh, in a movie theater, I'm better, but not so much at home. <laughs> oh, I love it. In your work, how effective have you seen with the DBT and your patients in rec- with particularly with substance use? So with my own clients, I've seen like a sense of um, hope and possibility. You know, they'll go to meetings and they do go to meetings, which I I do strongly believe in still um, to go, but also that there's other tools they have. And I find that using the workbook, it's kind of a combination of I'm doing therapy with them and I'm also in a small way like a sponsor when I'm talking about the steps. But um but a lot of the clients are saying they find it really helpful. They're learning a lot. Um, most of my clients have been in rehab or gone to AA before, so they're not new to recovery. But adding DBT skills, teaching them DBT is new. And I hear time and again, that's making a difference. Um, I just found out today, I'm so thrilled. Uh, there's a, a, a chain of treatment centers that uh, reached me. The CEO called and said he wants me to do a training for all the staff and all all their center or, or staff are going to come from different centers. And they bought books for all these centers to train staff how to use DBT with alcohol and drug patients. And um, And that's really what I want it for. I mean, I think it just DBT really should be in every treatment center um, or, or should be taught, not just to the staff, but then in turn to patients. Right. Um, because I think it's a huge piece that's missing and is so invaluable. So um, that's another aspect I think is um, exciting. Absolutely. What challenges are you do you think that our patients are facing? with substance use disorder and how and how can this like help them prevent the dbt skills that they're learning prevent a relapse or return to use right um the pervasiveness of drugs and alcohol is uh, it's just insane i think um i mean you know in berkeley there's like 10 dispensaries i mean like every six blocks you know, and uh, before it used to be, you know, when I got clean and sober, oh, you know, avoid the streets with the liquor store. Now it's avoid like almost everything. So it's really challenging for people if they're triggered and then they're right near a place they could get drugs or alcohol, which is legal. Um, there's also a, a big drug market, um, as you well know, fentanyl and uh other opiates and uh, that are easy to get. Um, I mean, I had a client who went through rehab, came out, she was doing well, she was starting to get stable. And then I don't know, just some random friends said, uh, oh, for her, her addiction was in addition to alcohol and drugs was Valium. So someone said, oh, I have some Valium. Like, <laughs> 
like, oh, here, you need a pencil, you know, that's how easy it is. And that was it. One one Valium or one drink or drug for most that then we're out out to the race is part of the problem. Uh, just some, you know, it's like candy. It's everywhere. And you really I mean, that support system, especially when you're newly sober. Like I just really tell everyone just to stay close, like you're in this lifeboat. And, you know, I, like to move as a group, even I think is a better way to go instead of alone. That is such sage advice. Our landscape out there is so challenging for our patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the time patients will come in, they will try to remove themselves from that culture and they get a new job and they, they have a coworker who they immediately know the signs this person's using or dealing. And it's it, it's like you just said, it's so pervasive just everywhere we you talked about this with your just your own experiences but how much are you seeing and how effective is the is dbt with the with mental illness the co-occurring mental illness and alcohol use disorder substance use disorders is do you feel like that's more effective with dbt versus for instance, CBT or other therapies? Yeah, I think it's more effective. And it's interesting because effective is a word used a lot in DBT, you know, and it makes, uh, you know, remind clients or patients every session, you know, ask yourself, is this being effective? You know, is going to that liquor store or going by that dispensary or, you know, kind of ask around at work, because uh, you're feeling tired that day and when you have any Adderall, because I've had that happen too. And then they, two minutes later, they get Adderall. I mean, it just blows my mind. <laughs> so how effective though, is that really? What's your goal? You know, and so DBT has a lot of strategies to think things through and, and to teach clients how to think things through. And for a lot of uh, patients who have alcohol or drug or a mental illness, you know, especially in early recovery, they're not thinking things through. They're thinking immediate. I'm in pain and I want to get out of pain now. So how could I do it? How could I numb myself like you were talking about earlier? And DBT says, whoop, stop. And even that's a skill with four different parts. And then what's your value? What's your goal? Let's think this through instead of that knee jerk reaction. I feel pain. I'm going to do this to get rid of it, knowing full well it's going to be there the next day or that evening or soon after or later. Uh, so with clients, again, I, you know, I'd mentioned earlier, I mean, CBT has certain skills and it's in, it's incorporated into DBT. Meditation in and of itself is helpful. And so is the dialectic looking at both and 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 how to hold uh, differences together instead of getting rid of one or the other, you know, and able to kind of solve a situation. Um, like instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, as it were. Uh, so DBT has all three. And like I said, there's 200 skills there. So the other brands of therapy have lesser number of skills. And also um, they're not working in tandem with other therapies. D- 
DBT is working with three therapies in one. And I, you know, I am a believer both professionally and personally. And I'm seeing really good results. Clients really seem to take to it. They like it. They're learning a lot. Um, They like to share how they used a certain skill and how it helped or didn't help. I mean, that's also a teachable moment as well. I love it. And I think we have such a difficulty sometimes, particularly with co-occurring mental health disorders, just getting that initial even engagement in therapy. But I think having this ability to be to be able to use those multiple tools to be able, I like just kind of those initial steps to just kind of get them all like, all right, our first step is just awareness. And I think that's so important, especially when we're dealing with substance use disorders. And then particularly also when you have either personality or a core occurring mental health disorder, that's just so critical. You know, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. I, I just came to me. Um, so I love homework all throughout my career. I've always given clients homework and there's so many homework sheets, you know, because yeah. a big thing. Like in AA, they say you never graduate. You just go through the steps again. Well, in DBT, it's practice, 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 because you have to practice these skills to get good. I mean, it's not a one-time deal. And very similar to AA when you practice different principles or different parts of a And so I think that also, that it's very engaging in that regard. Um, It's not just, okay, and I'll see you next week. Um, it's okay. We start with the homework. What did you do? Let's look at the worksheet. What worked or didn't work? And then move on to the next step. What was your week like? And then towards the end, teach a new skill and then have a homework assignment. So it's very structured, which I think is helpful because sometimes I've worked with people, you know, in early recovery. And they'll just talk the whole time. And I don't know if that was really so helpful. You know, I think DBT and other therapies too, but DBT reigns in people because there's a structure. And I find that very helpful for clients. With very, yeah, I mean, we, when you meet them, very chaotic lives and sometimes very chaotic mind and bringing in that structure and that they can then start to consistently rely on and move. It's just therapeutic itself. So I think that's very helpful. Yes. What else do we need to know? What haven't we covered? So, you know, it's interesting. In DBT, if someone relapses, they don't want you to use the word relapse, which I found kind of interesting. Uh, You you could use the word self-harm, but you don't get into the details because... Their philosophy is that in and of itself might trigger someone. Um, so I, I see the value in that instead of because also sometimes if a client relapses, they just beat themselves up about it. And I don't think that's helpful either. So it's OK. You participate in self-harm. We don't want the details. And uh, what are, where are you going from there? Um, now they may in individual therapy. So now I'm talking about a group In individual therapy, they would discuss it, but in a group, 
the DBT's philosophy is to not discuss the relapse, only talk about moving forward. And you could speak about it an individual, again, mainly um, to not trigger someone else and also not to look where you fell, but let's look at where you need to go. I think that's such a good point. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because that's been a criticism of a lot of my patients of, of some of the other group therapies that why, why they don't want to attend is because they felt that it was very triggering or you get some people with their, like what they'll call drunkologues or something mm -hmm. like that, you know, because they just feel like, Oh, I'm just going and it's too triggering for me. Just listening to all everyone's other stories. Yeah. And, and, mm -hmm. and, and what I would call maybe these were just possibly poorly moderated groups. And yeah. so, but I think that's a really interesting point and probably and really important for as clinicians when we're referring people to groups that that should be the model. I think yes. it's really important. That's a really important mm -hmm. point. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. I I really learned a lot. I feel like this is an area because we as physicians, we really rely on the psychologists and the therapists that do a lot of the heavy lifting here when it comes to the therapy, but it's such a critical component for many of our patients and life-saving is part of their recovery process. And so I, I appreciate the knowledge and your work and I just appreciate you so much just taking the time to speak with me tonight. So Thank you, Darlene and I yeah. um, really appreciate you asking me to be on your show. Absolutely. Anytime. So where can we find you? LauraPetrachikPhD.com. That's my website. Um, at LauraPetrachik is Instagram. Not sure about what's the other one. I'm not sure. <laughs> also, you could find my book, the DBT workbook for alcohol and drug addiction on Amazon.com. Barnes and Noble or your local bookstore. Great. Thank you so much. It's been our pleasure and we will see you next time. Until next time. Hey, check us out at theaddictionfiles.com or email us at theaddictionfiles at gmail.com. Thank you so much to Ricky Valides for use of his song, Awake. Check him out at rickyvalides.com. and guests are not responsible for any harm caused by information obtained from the source. As each person is unique, you're advised to seek the advice of your own healthcare professional to treat any medical conditions you may be having. Opinions expressed on the show are those of the addiction files and not of our respective employers.